Welcome back to the Rob Skinner Podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no regrets life, make this life count, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Today I'm interviewing Roger and Marsha Lamb. After serving as an evangelist for 23 years, Roger served for the last 30 years as the Director of Media for the International Churches of Christ, building the nonprofit media companies KNN and Disciples Today to connect disciples and churches around the world. He was instrumental in the release of DT Heart and Soul, Disciples Today Heart and Soul, for single disciples that have now produced at least 100 weddings and 21 babies. Disciple Adventures, a website to connect people and churches for short-term missions, and DT Counselor, an online office for anyone in the world to meet with commended disciples in our churches who are professional licensed counselors. DT Connect is a website that offers coaching services to help disciples grow professionally. He continues to teach and preach at retreats and conferences, and on the Steps of the Apostles tours, he leads in the Mediterranean. Marcia is a multiple award-winning writer and accomplished playwright with a passion for acting and helping women who have suffered abuse. She wrote a book sharing God's lessons they learned as they dealt with their son's leukemia and her own cancer in the DPI book, This Doesn't Feel Like Love. That's available on Amazon and DT Media Shop. Her recent portrayal of Salome, mother of James and John, deeply moved audiences in Chicago, Boston, Philadelphia, and in the Mediterranean. What's significant about this interview is that Roger will be retiring from his position at Disciples Today on August 31st, and we are recording this just a few days in advance of that. Before we get into the program, I'd like to let you know about a mission planting happening in the summer of 2021. We're planting a church in Flagstaff, Arizona, and Pam and I are looking for people interested in leading that team as well as joining that team as members. If you're interested, please contact me at rob at tucsonchurchofchrist.org, rob at tucsonchurchofchrist.org, or you can call Pam or email her at pamelajskinner at gmail.com. It's a great situation. There's a small house church there right now that's been there for a while, and I'll be organizing and training the mission team members to go up there, and we'll be there for part of the summer next, next year in order to get that church off the ground. So if you're interested in that, it's exciting. Love, love for you to contact me about that. Thank you. Now back to the program. Roger and Marsha, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Great to have you on the program today. Would you mind sharing how you became Christians, your Christian background? Well, that's a great question. Um, <clears throat> we uh, both grew up in the traditional churches of Christ. Marcia in Indiana, myself in Colorado and Germany, a couple other places. My dad was in the military. Um, so we had very strong uh, biblical teaching from the time we were young. I still remember our uh, uh, vacation Bible schools and Sunday schools and it's just very strong teaching the Bible. In high school, I was the only teenager in our little church of about 100 on base. That was a real uh, conviction clarifying moment uh, for me mm -hmm. in many ways. But uh, then we, we, and I got exposed to missionaries and I saw missionaries who were there to enjoy Europe. And then I saw missionaries who were there to evangelize. Mm -hmm. And uh, they really changed my life. Stanley Ship was one of the, the main guys. 
Um, then uh, I went to Harding and uh, met Marsha on Friday before classes started our freshman year, uh, where the three sidewalks meet in front of the student center late in the <laughs> afternoon on Friday, and she doesn't remember it at all. <laughs> I'm beginning to remember it the more he tells the story. So, <laughs> so <laughs> changed my life. We became great friends and went on missions every summer uh, in a group and the same group. And um, we got married before our senior year of college and then went to um, uh, Houston as a uh, youth minister right out of college with the intention of going with a group of friends of ours and planning a church in Germany. But uh, they wound up going, that didn't work out for us. We, we were wound up in Charleston, Illinois, a town of 10,000 with a campus of 10,000 in the middle of cornfields and soybeans. Uh, and uh, the, the, when I got there, my grandpa sent me a picture and told me that he had lived in that same town when he was a boy. And his dad was the preacher for the same church I was preaching for wow. from 1894 to 1898. And I had no idea That's he was even a preacher. It was, <laughs> was mind boggling. So God blessed that in terms of that little group grew 60 to 120 in three years. But wow. I was pretty frustrated with the adults, I was frustrated. I didn't realize the real reason for it. But um, we had a lot of college students coming. I, I didn't see them really changing their lives or anything. And I, I thought, well, we need a campus minister. Right. So I'd been following the Crossroads movement through their bulletins, very impressed. So I, I raised the money for a campus minister and called up Sam Lang and uh, said, do you have anybody you've trained? He said, oh, yes, we have uh, Tom Brown, Kip McKean, and Steve Gooch. And uh, so he sent me resumes. We interviewed Tom. He went on to Boulder and took that job. I don't know why he went to Boulder over Charleston, Illinois. <laughs> <laughs> and they interviewed Kip and uh, hired Kip. And he did a very smart thing. He challenged me to go to their Florida seminar. Mm before he moved up that fall. He wasn't married yet, came by himself. But uh, I took an elder, went down there and it blew my mind. I saw what I'd always been taught the New Testament church should be, mm -hmm. or was like, right. the Acts church. And uh, I, you know, I saw all these people, all ages, all races, uh, all committed to God and committed to each other and being evangelistic. Hmm. And it, it just blew my mind. Uh, I thought, this is awesome. So uh, I, I, I was really curious how that happened because I'd pretty much given up on the idea, honestly, hmm. of a New Testament church being able to be in today's world. So Kip comes and I start seeing the lives of people change radically, like Marty Fuquay, Mark Mancini, and uh, many others. And I thought, oh my gosh, there's, I got to figure this out. And then uh, we had a retreat. And at the end of the retreat, uh, I was so convicted. I had the Sunday sermon 
and on the front pew, I just put the sermon in the back of my Bible, and I got up, and I said, you know, I, I'm not going to preach today. I'm going to make a confession. Mm. Uh, there's three kinds of people in the world, those who say they believe in Jesus, but they don't live it, the kind that just don't believe in Jesus at all, and they admit it. And the third kind say they believe in Jesus, and they really follow him. And I said, you know, I've been the first kind. Wow. I'm your preacher. And I, my heart has not been committed totally to God and to Jesus. And I, I've not been really a true follower. And I'm repenting of that. I'm, I'm, I'm changing that. And I expect you to do the same thing. Wow. And in those days, we had an invitation. You know, right. I remember that. Yes. For prayer. 80% of the church came forward mm -hmm. and, wow. uh, and stuff. It was, it was awesome. Yeah. So that was a, that was a huge point, uh, a change for me and uh, leading me to become a true Christian. Then. That's awesome. uh, and then Marcia made a, a similar uh, commitment a little while later. Right. So That's amazing. So it was a, a huge cultural shock and transition for you guys. Yeah, it was. it was. Yeah, I mean, we we had a lot, as Roger mentioned, like head knowledge, but this was really taking it deeper. Mm -hmm. And we'd had moments like that, perhaps at, in college, removed. But as he said, the the environment around us didn't support that. Um, it was kind of like go to church, the rest of your life, you know, is your business. So that was uh, the difference. Right. Yeah. Uh, for us. Well, it's, and, it, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say the reason it took me a little longer is he came home like, we're going to be totally committed. We're going to be, we're going to put God first every day. We're going to study the Bible every day. We're going to reach out. We're going to, you know, change our lives. And I thought, that's not going to work. <laughs> it's going to, you're going to see it's going to fail. So, I'll give it a week. And then at the end of the week, it was the best week of my life. So things changed. Amazing so, the yeah. humility to make that kind of a change, to make that kind of a statement. I mean, that must have just been a shocker for people. And it changed your life. That's, that's incredible. It, 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 it felt much more like conviction than humility. Wow. <laughs> it was very humbling to, to, to have to do that. The uh, other really key element there at Crossroads was the teaching on uh, one another relationships. Mm -hmm. And uh, <clears throat> the churches we grew up in were very friendly and warm and hospitable. Uh, we had people at our house all the time, but the relationships weren't deep spiritually. And in fact, when I was a youth minister in Houston, the minister told me, his advice was only get close to three families. And, uh, you know, the scripture we heard uh, quoted a lot about relationships was everybody mind your own business. Um, and, and frankly, when the movement started, that's where we caught a lot of flack because it scared a lot of people right. to be open and have people deeply involved in your life. Right. Uh, but we were craving that and needing that so badly as most people do mm -hmm. um, and, and so I'm, I'm so grateful uh, for all those beginnings there in crossroads and 
and what the, we have benefited from. Right. Well, it's it's really interesting because um, if listeners are familiar with the history of the ICOC, the campus ministry movement, the the Boston movement, um, they may have heard of you know probably have heard of Kip McKean from Crossroads from Gainesville, Florida, and then for you know, Boston, almost as if he went directly from Boston or from Crossroads to Boston. But there was the 70s there that he was right there in the Midwest, right there with you. And what a what a bird's eye view you had of the development of what would later become the Boston movement and then the ICOC. It's incredible. You saw it right there at its infancy. Marsha often calls it the prenatal movement. (laughs) Uh, Or prehistoric. Or prehistoric. (laughs) But uh, yeah, Crossroads was sending out these campus ministers uh, in traditional churches, and we had 10 of them in the Midwest, Um, but most of them did not end well. Most of them, the preachers and the elders did not back the campus minister, and uh, I had a real heart for them because I just felt for them. So we we had seminars and conference retreats and stuff, and I would call them to try to encourage them. Um, and uh, that was the beginning of the Midwest Ministries actually that went on later uh, in, in the Midwest. Okay, so can you give me just a quick uh, rundown of where, how long you were there and then you moved on, you went to Boston, Chicago, I mean, you've gone all over the place, but maybe up until the time you, you made a career change that we're gonna talk about in a few minutes, but like, where'd you go and how long were you there after that? Oh, good. Thanks. Uh, we uh, we were in uh, Charleston 10 years. We went there in 1973. Uh, Kip and Elena moved to uh, Boston in 1989. Uh, I'm sorry, 1979. Right. And uh, uh, started there, you know, with the, 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 the movement. Right. Uh, Boston movement started. And then uh, a few years later, uh, well, in 1981, Michael got leukemia. 1983, we moved to Champaign, Illinois, planted the church there. Then 1985, Chicago Church, which was the first church planting in the movement, uh, they asked us to move up there to help. The church was growing rapidly and uh, needed help. with. Uh, so we moved up there. We were there from 85 to 88. The church went from an attendance of like 350 to 1500 in those three years. It's amazing. It's it was unbelievable. Yeah. Wow. And uh, then Marsha got cancer. And uh, I hope, it wasn't, to hope, Boston. hope that wasn't related there, the rapid growth and then getting cancer. Oh my gosh. Oh, <laughs> oh my, my gosh. No. Okay. No. <laughs> But, no, uh, other things were happening. Okay. There were a lot of things that <laughs> yeah. So we moved to Boston then to scale back, focus on our family and, and retool. Okay. Okay. So let's let's go from there. Your your lives, you're up until that time you're doing ministry and you did serve twenty three <clears throat> years as a as an evangelist pulpit minister. Then you stopped and and doing the full-time ministry and really changed careers. There was a huge shift there, kind of midlife. And Roger, you went on to do your work with KNN Disciples Today, which we'll talk about later in the program. Marsha, you went on to become an author, a playwright, and an actress. 
you you went off in a completely different direction. Now I know it didn't happen just just a one day with you know premeditation, but it definitely led there. You've spent a lifetime helping women who've suffered abuse and those who are enduring illness. Um, can you tell me about like where'd that come from? You know how how did that develop? And just tell me a little bit about like um, where that started. Okay, thanks. Um, I think as far as the um, the writing and being an author, um, actually, it uh, went along with the ministry hand in hand in many ways because um, <clears throat> when we had women's uh, programs uh, for you know Pat Yipple would be uh, heading that. One of the things she always requested was that we would actually write a chapter about the subject we'd be teaching on. Um, we had some really good books for women that came out during those times. And I apologize, I can't think of the names of all of them, but I, I contributed to several of those and I got really good feedback from mm -hmm. them. So that was very uh, encouraging, of course. And um, <clears throat> so from there, um, the uh, the skits, actually, I kind of laugh when I'm called an actress because I'm just a ham is the truth. And I've been a ham since I was a kid. It's one of those things that I can't help but doing. Mm -hmm. It's just me. And uh, but through the years, you know, we all have these banquets and, and programs. Right. And then Sunday morning, once in a while, I get a program. So those were the things I contributed to. And it was a lot of fun and it was easy for me. So I know it was, God put it in me. Right. Um, <clears throat> I, as you mentioned, a couple of them um, led them to, well, my writing went on to work with Roger in Disciples Today, K&N, um, and uh, LA Story. So I was an editor for those. Um, and then when we did the dramatics with KNN, those were usually instant um, requested by the church when we had women's days or men's days. And so um, I would write the storyline and I didn't have the skills to actually do the script writing. Uh, so we'd have the brothers and sisters that were really gifted in those areas would write the script they were the professional groups yeah professionals very professional and very good and they turned my stories into a script and then of course we had some great uh great brothers that would be the directors and so um it was a wonderful time doing the dramatics especially the cross was so moving um and those are still available on uh disciples today and ipi um, media, media store, right? Yeah, so, we, we used to love those. Those, those on come our YouTube page, also. Yeah, yeah. I, I just so remember when I, those would come out periodically, and we loved it. I remember was it called Secrets of the Heart? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, we Pam and I would just sit there, and every time there was a new yeah. new one coming out, we just loved it. So I didn't know that oh, you were behind okay. that. You came up with a story. That's awesome. Yeah, it was. Thank you. I can brag on her. Here's oh my. a couple of trophies, uh, awards that uh, were given. Every one of those dramatic um, 
things. And most every other canine we got received an award. Wow. Tele uh, awards that you'll see these in the in the background in people's uh, uh, <laughs> Zoom meetings now. That's you know, amazing. Well, they're terrible to dust. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's but great. Anyway, so those were awesome experiences. Um, and so it was sort of a growing experience. Uh, as far as, I don't know, what else did my, oh. I think. Uh, <laughs> Help me, dear. <laughs> well, no, she's, uh, she's done, as you mentioned, these characters, which are just so moving and creative, like the Salome character. Then mm -hmm. she has another character that she'd started in Charleston, actually, called Granny Claus. And uh, she's done that every Christmas since 1978, wow. David, David was baby. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and she's performed that for huge crowds in LA, Chicago, Boston, different places, and then just small groups for kids. And uh, it's, it's Santa Claus's grandma. Mm. So uh, she even has her own YouTube channel. Because <laughs> she raised him from just a little boy. <laughs> anyway, I can go on. There you go. Yeah. I could go on. Um, but actually, one of the other things I did during that um, our time uh, was I taught. I was actually a teacher's aide. I don't know what they call it nowadays, right. but a teacher's assistant for about ten years uh, with children that had were hearing impaired or had special needs. Uh, so I learned sign language in college and uh, was able to use the sign language to interpret in our worship services in Chicago and uh, then worked with children. So that was my career. Okay. <laughs> the other things were my right. love. So I'm going to ask you more about that, that book later in the program, but Sure. When you talk about helping women who suffered abuse, how did that um, show up? Where did that come from? What what drove that? Okay, that was that's a another God happening. Um, <clears throat> he uh, for LA Story, we we tried to highlight the different ministries and what they were doing in hopes of inspiring people in other churches all around the US and, the, and internationally. So um, one of the stories that I had uh, wanted to do and was assigned to do was for the group they called the Freedom Group at that time. And this was a group in LA, yeah, in LA. And it was a group of uh, people along with some, a couple of psychologists that were disciples that got together and, um, they, they had every Saturday for so many, a couple of months, I think it was. So they, <clears throat> anyway, it was very, very inspiring. It was always a de devotional uh, scripture, encouragement. And then we would break off into small groups, either, you know, men together, women together, and spouses together or significant helpers. And so we, um, it was during that first time that I was gathering this information and listening, listening to the stories of the people in our group. And I thought, 
I don't know. I think I need to come back to this. I need to come back to this group. And um, so I did. And it was a very healing, exposing time for me. I, I read books that they recommended. I did counseling. Um, but that group was probably the most helpful because as a person um, having gone through the the sexual abuse, you feel like you're the only one. Mm -hmm. You feel like you're just um, responsible for everything that happened. And it's a very, it's a time of sharing stories so that you know you're not alone. Mm -hmm. And the people that have been there longer were able to help us then to reason it out, but also to say, you're not crazy. Right. You know, it does affect you later in your life. Um, I, uh, so from there, I went on and had a group in LA and then also in Chicago that was very uh, encouraging, very successful and successful in the means that their lives really changed and their relationships changed. Oh. And certainly the most was that my life changed and my relationships changed. It, I say it's like when you don't have glasses and you can't see clearly or the ones you have are dirty or the windows are dirty and you can't see clearly and then all of a sudden oh so that's what a tree looks like mm. and for me it was issues of trust mm. uh, I just had by my experiences it just didn't trust people mm. and I I guess being an actress I could act like I trusted people right but I, I just didn't. And so it was very difficult for me to um, trust what was happening. I went along with it, but a lot of times I couldn't trust leaders. I couldn't trust people getting into my life. Mm -hmm. So um, one of the themes that I feel really strongly about is I do believe that Satan attacks us when we're very young, like he attacked the early church. He attacked Moses and right. you know Jesus as a baby and he just goes after us when we're very young and impressionable and we can't even express what's going on um, and it so that he can plant his seeds of God doesn't love you you shouldn't you can't trust love you can't trust people um, you know you're the crazy one all these things are planted in in our minds and so it takes uh, so that's Satan's attack. And so as disciples and women who have gone through this, we, and men, we need to be able to attack Satan's lies wow. with the truth. And it takes, it's a hard work. It's hard work to believe the truth after living the lies because Satan also sends you lots of things that make you think, oh yeah, see, God doesn't love you. Hmm. And I think that was the... Um, Anyway, that to me is a message I want to get out. I've started a book. I have it almost halfway done. And it's going to be more about personal level, on a personal level, but also from the scriptures. You, when you are working on these things, you see a lot more in the scriptures that are there for us. Mm. What's uh, the name of the heal. book? I don't know. <laughs> no, <laughs> okay. I, think, I think it's going to be Secrets of the Heart. Oh, really. I love that. I love that. That's, that's yeah, fantastic. So you yeah. basically, you went to a, a, a group 
And mm-hmm. all of a sudden, it just triggered a lot of memories, obviously. It brought back a oh. lot of stuff. You're like, oh, my gosh, there's a lot here. It just yeah. resonated. You felt it in your body, like, oh, my gosh, I've got, oh. got to be here. I couldn't talk about it. I would almost faint. And wow. just the subject matter, I would just, you know, practically faint. How long did it, it come- how, how long did it take you from the, the <laughs> fir- that first meeting to just be able to talk about your past and just, you know, mm. deal with it? Uh, well, within the group, um, I think God only gives us memory of what we can handle. I see. I, I see a lot of women are in their 30s when they've come to realization. It's very difficult to, to deal with it with someone who's not ready uh, or a younger person and are fresh out of it. I mean, if you can, that's if you can work with someone when it happens, a young person, they won't have the scars that many of us live with. But that doesn't happen very often because there's so much shame and fear that you don't talk about it um, during this, you know, while it's going on or maybe years and years after. You want to, as a matter of fact, I was, quote, dunked, <laughs> baptized as a 12 year old without any studies. But I did it because I wanted that old bad nasty person to be washed away right and i didn't want to think about her anymore right so that's kind of how i survived from that point on Mm. um just never talked about it until um this group and i don't know it just being able to talk about it having someone listen Mm -hmm. without correcting or shaming Mm -hmm. or you know saying oh boys will be boys or whatever, sometimes their responses are more painful than what happened. Mm. And so a group of people who've gone through it makes it a lot easier to talk about because you're not going to be shamed. It's a safe group. Did Roger know about this going into your marriage? I don't think so. Did you? No. Because, you know, as a Christian, we think, well, it's baptized, it's gone, it's, that's in the past, don't, mm-hmm. don't think about it. But I think there are a lot of women, especially Christian women, who are just hurting mm-hmm. and stuck and fearful, and um, that this is the situation. And okay. I, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. One more thing? Of course. I firmly believe that when Jesus came, he did come to seek and save the lost, but it, his first sermon, he talks about how he came to heal the sick and give sight to the blind and set the captives free. And I think there's a lot of us who are captives that have not been set free because we haven't actually gone down the path of healing um, that God, Jesus offers us. And it doesn't just happen in a, what do we call them? Those count the cost sessions. It, It doesn't just happen then. It's a continuation all our lives growing close to God. Wow. If someone, Marsha, were struggling and they're listening to you and they're like, wow, that really hits home for me. What, what would you advise them to do? Where, where could they go? Who could they talk to? Um, you know, honestly, that is a, that is a difficult question. There haven't been that in the past, there haven't been that many people uh, to go to, but if there are counselors in the church, um, 
definitely a counselor is usually prepared uh, to work with this type thing. Uh, that's what I went, I went with that in mind and it was very, very helpful. Um, I, pardon me? Yeah, Robin Widener, she even does counseling over okay. the phone. Okay. Um, yeah, that's okay. who I would recommend. Thank I you. Did, yeah, our, I'd like to make a plea to our people in the ministry to be sure they're getting um, this knowledge of how to deal with this because there's been a lot of damage done by, uh, you know, the pat answers mm -hmm. that people are given and it really shuts people down right. and they just don't want to talk about it or, you know, basically they just die inside. Right. Roger and Marcia, reading your biographical sketch, I'm, str I'm struck by two themes, communication or connection and chronic illnesses. And so if you don't mind, let's, let's first talk about the communication and connection. You've spent a career bringing disciples together, whether it's organizing the Boston Conference. The, it's amazing that, that you did that. I didn't realize you're in charge of that. The Boston Bulletin, Discipleship Magazine, KNN, Disciples Today, Heart and Soul, and all the, other, all the other programs that we mentioned at the beginning of the program. I just want to ask you, what inspired you to get involved in all these different areas of service? Wow, that's a great question. Thanks. Um, you know, I think uh, it started in uh, seeing the division in churches when I was growing up. And uh, there were, you know, we, we were in a small town and there were like five or six churches of Christ in the town that hardly had anything to do with each other. And uh, then the more I grew up and learned, the more I learned about all these different factions where somebody would uh, uh, pick a doctrine and harp on it and to pull a group of people off after themselves mm -hmm. and on pretty silly things like, you know, one cup, uh, whether you had a kitchen in your building or not, stuff like that. So you knew it wasn't the doctrine. It was more than that. Right. And then um, went to college and learned more uh, about that and saw the division racially uh, among our churches, you know, and, and uh, I was like, why? And this is the 60s, right? This right. is the end of the 60s. Right. Civil rights movement, all this stuff. Um, I somehow got <clears throat> elected uh, president of the Student Arkansas Education Association and so got invited to all these conferences around the South on integration, desegregation. I was at one of those when Martin Luther King was shot. Oh my gosh. And um, that had a profound effect on me. Um, and then I went into the ministry in, in Houston there and again, saw the same thing with these churches. And I'm like, this, this shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. um, and reading the Bible more and more, Jesus' vision of unity and, and connection in the body of Christ is so different than that. So I, I think that instilled in me a deep desire to see connection, see uh, um, uh, unity and uh, um, among people. And then, so when we started the movement, we had deep convictions 
that we needed to be unified, very deep convictions, and not on just a superficial level, but a real deep level, and deep convictions that we needed to be for all races. We were not going to recreate a church that's that's only you know one race, mm -hmm. and uh, so uh, those were intentionally worked at. And then, um, uh, you know, I, I used uh, a lot of the experiences that I'd had um, because I'd always been interested in communications. I, uh, my, you know, from my first job as an announcer uh, in high school, I was on, on the Air Force Base in Germany. I was uh, announcing for this TV station. Right. Um, and then later, very interested in this kind of stuff. So I'd always written, I'd always been really interested in writing and really believed the power of media. And then when uh, uh, we used it a lot in early days, every uh, you know, thing that we could, our seminars, et cetera, like you referred to. Um, and then when it came time for us to get out of the full-time ministry uh, with the shift in Marsha's health, then it was a natural thing. I think people, they asked me to, to do the, the media for the church. So I just thought, well, this is an awesome way to serve. And all these churches are growing and planting around the world. How are we going to keep them connected? And during that time, I grew a, a deep conviction that this is really who God is. God is the greatest communicator ever and he's the greatest connector but it's even deeper than that his communication connects us you know he sent jesus the bible right. the holy spirit right is the word you know um and his our connection jesus said our connection communicates god if you love one another, you will show people you're my disciples. So God involves us in this process. We get to be part of the communication. We get to be part of the connection that communicates. Right. That that's just pretty exciting to me. It is. And you know, it's it's interesting to me how um, you know the gifts that God gave you. You have this incredible baritone voice that. It sounds like a radio DJ from the from the 70s. I can see how you definitely get into that. But it worked hand in hand with the global nature of our family of churches, the International Churches of Christ. Um, now, Marcia, um, you guys started as a ministry couple. Now, Roger just mentioned that you got out because of your health. You moved into a different or broader field of global support and connection. Um, can you tell me about that decision process? And do you ever regret that move? Um, I would say no. <laughs> I think they were both wonderful. I loved being in the ministry. I loved um, really being involved with people, women, particularly uh, studying the Bible. But I have an, another glitch in my uh, psyche here. I have ADD and I was not very good 
and actually being a leader and organizing and pulling things together because there were just too many squirrels, squirrels <laughs> that distract me. And so I, I, I in many times, uh, I would ask another sister of maturity and great marriage if she would step in and, you know, help with our leading the like the region or uh, whatever it was. So yes, it was never my gift. Um, it was kind of an interesting thing that you bring that up because it was expected to be, right. you know, when, when a couple, you had to, you know, hire a couple and some of that still happens. And the woman, no matter what her gifts are or skills um, or limitations, she's going to be the, the woman leader. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I did do, I think I did great. God helped me a lot with um, teaching. But as far as leading, organizing, that was not me. Um, we raised a daughter, though, that <laughs> she could have taken over for me. And she tried many times. <laughs> so what year so, was that when you guys decided, okay, we're going to step out of the, the preaching ministry? Mm-hmm. That was 1990, I believe. Okay, so fair, fairly early, and I remember those days because, uh, you know, there was a certainly a mold. There, you know, the guy had to be a fired up, super type A type person, and so did the woman. So you had to have two, not didn't have to, but strongly suggested, you know. Yeah. And I, I think there were some powerful couple, powerful women during that time that kind of set the mold. Lynn Green's one of them for sure. Uh, Lisa Johnson you know, total mm -hmm. drivers. And, and if Chris you didn't, Fuquay. if you didn't, right, Chris Fuqua, if you didn't have that temperament, well, you know, it was tough, tough on you. must've been really tough yeah. emotionally for you. Yeah. Oh, I just made people laugh. And then, <laughs> if I can make them laugh, it's okay. <laughs> well, and uh, God really worked here in, yeah. in a good way because uh, Marcia had had um, cancer in 1987 in the fall and um, uh, had radiation and then uh, that changed our family and tremendously because we were co-leading Chicago, coordinating 10 churches in the Midwest, started the operation saturation, the whole deal. But all of that came to a screeching halt. Boston asked us to come there to scale back and to heal it was so kind of them yes. to take care of us that way and um, <clears throat> then i was getting bored so they said why don't you start an arts ministry oh. so we started an arts ministry the first one in boston that was one of the most fun ministries we ever yeah, did absolutely and that's when i dawned on me i married an artist that's right i was like i oh, found my people okay <laughs> now i get it yeah. But her uh, stamina just wasn't there. I mean, from the radiation and everything else, she had like half a day's energy. Mm -hmm. And so that's when we finally went and said, we just can't, I can't expect Marcia to do any of this anymore. Right. And uh, that's well, when they said, well, would you come edit the magazine? Okay. Well, it must've yeah. been, t been tough for you, Roger, because that, that, I mean, at that time, 
everyone wanted to be full-time in the ministry, it seemed like. I mean, it just, I know that's a broad generalization, but everyone who, who had some spiritual gift were like, you got to be full-time ministry. And it was an exciting time. Lots of mission teams being sent out. So for you to kind of go in the opposite direction, that must have been challenging for you because you'd spent, you know, 15 years or so preaching up until that point. Yeah, actually, I started preaching full-time when I was a junior in college. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Yeah, at the Possum Great Church of Christ. That's another story. That's an awesome story. But uh, yeah, so that had been 23 years. And um, it was a big shift. You know, go from leading uh, big churches and speaking conferences and all that kind of stuff to moving to a different region of the Boston church, showing up on Wednesday night, and nobody even acknowledged we were there. Right, right. And I'll never forget that moment because at first my feelings were hurt and I'm like, you know, that. And then it dawned on me, you know what? This is good for you. Why am I here? Right. Am I here to be acknowledged and or am I here to serve? Mm. That's the heart of a disciple. And so that, that was a really good clarifying moment. That's awesome. For me. Total refining, yeah. refining your motives. Marcia, you have a gift for writing and acting. You're, you're both an actor, actress and a writer. You know, how'd you, of course, you've explained you were sick at that time and you, you needed to change your lifestyle, but um, I, I, you were a real trendsetter, you know, to write books back in the 90s. There weren't a lot of writers going on. And so to kind of cut off and, and just head off into the brush in, in a totally different way, how'd you manage that during the 90s? Um, actually, it was started, it started when uh, I was asked to, we were asked, I think, to write an article for the Boston Bulletin. I think we were still in Chicago when that started, when that started. And <clears throat> anyway, um, as I wrote, more and more stuff was coming out because it was about Michael and his leukemia and things I was learning from God. Um, and it turned out not to just be an article for the front page, but it was like four, I think three or four page, front page articles for the Boston um, Bulletin. And so it was became obvious there was a need uh, for it. And then also that I had a, I had something to say and right. help. Uh, it was an interesting time too because um, everything that I wrote at the beginning, the book, the articles, also had Roger's name on it. Uh, couldn't be just a woman's name right. because right. You know, well, because they thought men wouldn't read it if it just had a woman's name. Hmm. So, um, so anyway, that's that was that era, but um, I believe doing the writing also was very um, therapeutic for me. It helped me to really get deep and in my heart, do some searching. Uh, why would God allow a child to suffer? Um, and the title of our book, This Doesn't Feel Like Love. Right. Um, when things don't seem right, I, I, have a, I go after it. I want to know why. Right. A lot of times. Okay, well, let's just jump off there and talk about okay. kind of the second theme of your lives. One is connection and, and communication, but then the second one is just the illnesses you guys have had to deal with. Let's talk a little bit about the role 
and the toll that illness has played on you guys in your lives. I mean, your son, Michael, he's a minister in the Boston church now. He was diagnosed as a child with leukemia. David passed away from leukemia. Mm -hmm. uh, your daughter, Christy, had health issues. She passed. So you've lost two children. Um, you've had cancer, Marcia. I mean, how, okay, just, just reading that, I'm, I was hesitant to even talk to you about this because I go, how do, you, how do you come back from something like that? I mean, how, how do you stay productive or even stay faithful when you face so much suffering and, and you're forced to justify God in the face of just, just total tragedy? <clears throat> Thankfully, it didn't happen all at once. Mm -hmm. um, God um, was working. He is both preparing the way, preparing us, me, for what was about to happen. Uh, but he was also showing me things as it was happening, that he was there. Um, I can't say that I was strong all the time. As a matter of fact, just even this year with all that's going on, COVID and all that, I've, I've had some real low, low times. Mm -hmm. And I think in some ways, um, I, <laughs> there's a lot, but my nature has been, um, and I probably learned this as a child, young child, there was a lot going on as a child that was difficult. You just learned to, you know, gut it out, have some stamina. But then as I became a disciple and seeing the role of Satan, you know, wanting to destroy the goodness of God, um, wanting, I think his biggest effort is to plant lies about who God is. And uh, I've learned that by, <clears throat> I think, studying the most I can about who God is, uh, fighting off my, our, all of our nature to believe the lies. You know, started the Garden of Eden. You know, did God really say, mm -hmm. uh, and, and even with Jesus, he would say, you know, you know, you can jump off this and, you know, so many things that um, I've learned through these experiences to not just assume my uh, concept of God from the time I was very young was the true mm -hmm. God. I've learned to tear some of that down and build the truth based on his word and based on uh, his nature. Mm -hmm. And um, Anyway, that, so I think during all this process, that's probably one of the things about me that to really want to know God, why? <laughs> they say, don't ask why, but you got to ask why. Right. And then also know yourself. Um, I definitely got counseling. Um, I definitely know my nature. Uh, I know not <laughs> totally, but the fact that some of the things we're hearing some of the great themes this last year is to know god and make him known um that that's everything that's what it is it's knowing god and making him known um and knowing yourself i think because my tendency is to 
is to toughen up, shut down, isolate. But more and more, God is sort of peeling back. Like, you can't keep denying this is hurting. You can't keep denying that. You've got to look at the pain so you can look at the healing. So you can look at, well, like this Beatitudes, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And I, I was trying to be strong for everybody else in the family and uh, didn't allow myself to mourn much of the time. Mm -hmm. I could still gather awesome truths about God, but there's, there's still a lot of reality, a lot of pain, a lot of hurt. Um, <laughs> sometimes I feel I just hanging on by my toenails, you know, but right, right. Um, I really do believe that as I study that the purpose for our suffering as the Bible teaches is to help us to understand God and Jesus more because of his suffering, but also to, um, in many of the situations he has said to bring glory to God. And there are not many ways that call attention to a person in this day uh, where we well, except this summer, this year, you know, everything's being torn away and we're all kind of getting down to the nitty gritty about who we are and how we handle hardship. And um, so I'm seeing that the purpose to bring glory to God, but then also have hope in heaven. It's not hope in this world. Um, how it played out with Michael was definitely, he was cured. Awesome wonderful ending mm -hmm. but with david he wasn't mm -hmm. and that was conflicting that was hard that was like why um it doesn't make any sense but it helped me to understand that it's a level field we all suffer mm -hmm. i'm not special because i married roger lamb mm -hmm. it's and and tearing it down and being on that level ground with my brothers and sisters and all that are suffering is I think the most I've learned and the most compassion mm. that I've learned has come from that. Um, they, and then with Christy, oh my, if there are regrets, I wish that we knew more from the beginning of her life. We didn't know the heart of what she was dealing with and uh, it didn't come out till it was right toward the end of her life um, that she had this uh, immune system that just basically wasn't working. And she was getting infections all through her life, but we didn't know that. But it was, sorry, it was through her that I learned that's what I have. And um, so because of all that she did and we learned together, I'm now getting the treatment that she needed. And uh, so I just see God working and um, I just want to make the most of what he's given me. And I do certainly hurt for people. Um, and I wish I could make it all go away, right. but it will in heaven. Yeah. It will in heaven. And I am about out of intelligence at this moment. Well, Thank you to, for asking. Yeah, it's just, <clears throat> in some ways you guys were, you know, 
at that time, the movement was so young. I mean, it's you've, you've got people in their 30s, 20s, 30s, 40s, but you guys are experiencing illness, death, that now now we're starting to see much more of that, people passing away, people yeah. like Gloria Baird and people, you know, experiencing a lot more trouble in their lives. But you guys experienced it up front. Um, what would you advise to those who are struggling with illness, either their own or a family member's? Um, how, how, what would, what would you tell them? That's really great. Do you have a, yeah, something I, in mind? One thing would be to, you've got to read the Bible, <laughs> stay tight with God. You need to read her book. Um, we're actually writing another half because it just goes to 1994 and we've, we're writing a, another section that's going to be called this doesn't feel like love either. Uh, what's happened <laughs> since then? But um, uh, I think we learned so many things with Michael that we've reapplied over yeah. and over exactly. and it matured and deepened. But some of those crucial things are that um, you don't blame God. Job stance. You don't blame God. And it, uh, it never made sense to me to blame the only person who could help me mm. ultimately in every way. Well, that was my, that was a question I had for you, Roger is like, I mean, I'd be mad if that were me, I would just be so angry, mad. And how, I mean, how, how do you not be, I mean, you're saying don't blame God. How do you not, how do you not blame God? <laughs> um, I think there's a difference between blaming God and being angry with God. Mm -hmm. Anger is a real emotion. Jesus was angry. Um, so anger is different than, you know, bringing it down and saying that you're the fault of it. Now you probably have those feelings from time to time mm -hmm. um, because you, well, we all, if we don't know God, and that's so key, God's nature, God is love. What does that mean? Why don't I believe it? Um, maybe it's because my who my father was, but he didn't keep his promises. You know, these are the kind of things that you, it's a blessing to have to question those things and find the answers yeah. for yourself with God. I, yeah, I think that's really important. Um, you know, the the key to that for me is that you got to understand who you should be mad at. It's the enemy. It's not that you shouldn't be mad. Uh, grief, uh, anger is a part of grief. Yeah. And it really helped me when I saw really the, the original language when Jesus went to Lazarus' tomb. And he wailed deeply. Mm. It, the word means visibly. Uh, and that says he was angry twice in that chapter. But who's he angry at? God created people not intending for them to die. That was not his intention ever. People decided to be let themselves be duped by the devil. The devil's the one you get mad at. And please vent your anger at the devil. Uh, I think we need to do that. I think it's healthy to do that. 
Uh, I think that's what Jesus was mad at, was he saw the pain in his friends, and he was mad at the devil for what he'd, he'd done to humans. And uh, I think we just got to direct it. I think another thing we really learned there was, do you let your illness define you? And you, that is a big mistake. And a lot of people do. They just let that define their life. Right. While Michael was going through chemotherapy treatments, we planted the church in Champaign. Because we decided, you know what? God's work still needs to be done. God will take care of things. But we're not going to let the devil have another victory by distracting us. Mm -hmm. We're going to let God develop us mm -hmm. instead of the illness define us. Right. And we've used that principle many, many times over and over again. Little did we know how many times we'd have to use oh that. Oh my gosh. Well, I've certainly seen that, Roger, because, and Roger, we've had more contact than, I, than I've had with you, Marcia, but never in my conversations with you have I, I felt like um, that that's the first thing you brought up. And some people, you're right, it, it defines them. They're the people that have this experience and that's all they can talk about or ruminate on or, you know, you can't, you can't really talk about anything else besides that particular issue. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's a trap. I think the devil wants us to get stuck yeah, in. Right. Um, the, the, um, I think another really crucial thing is um, really understanding, you know, Jesus said in this life, you will have trouble. So we got to get our expectations according to what he told us right lower this our expectations <laughs> right yeah and, this is not the garden and we come in well i would be a christian everything's gonna be great now right? yeah that's not sure. what he told his own apostles or he right. told us there will have trouble but he will help us get through it that's mm -hmm. that's where real faith and real connection with god right. the other thing that really surprised me in the grieving was that I felt like I could understand a part of God I never got in touch with before. Because yeah. imagine the grief God felt when Adam and Eve left the garden. Mm. Then imagine all through history, mm. every person has turned their back on him and he keeps having children. I'm like, I would quit having children. Right, right. <laughs> uh, he even wiped them out once, started over, <laughs> and promised he wouldn't do it again. But um, uh, and, and then you get in touch with the grief that you, the father felt having his son die for us. Right. I, I'm like, I would never choose that mm. for my son. Mm. It just blows me away yeah. that God would do that for me. Right. And I think we got to see those are doors opening to help us. Right. Another thing that really I have rested on a lot is Romans 8. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Mm. And it even says not even illness or death. Mm. Yeah. So those things cannot separate us. We can choose to be separated. That's right. But the things that happen to us are don't, not what separate us. It's how we react to them. Right. You know, I, I just wish... Roger, that, that 
when you're when you're talking, so many faces come back from the past of people that have have experienced the trouble, whether it's illness or marriage trouble, or and they're no longer part of the you know this family of churches at least. I, I don't know where they're at spiritually, but so so much bitterness, so much anger, um, because because they could didn't know how to deal with it. And it's just unfortunate whether it's a conflict with an, another disciple or it's it's sad to me. Um, let me let me just talk about one one more aspect of this. A lot of people lose their marriage when they have a child die. I mean, that's yes. I've seen that happen where they they end up getting divorced, and I always wonder why. But tell me about the impact on your marriage of having you having two of your kids precede you in death. I mean, just how, how, how'd you manage that marriage wise? Um, we learned so much, um, with Michael, our experience with Michael, when he was a child, one of the things that we saw was, um, we would go in for his treatment, his bone marrow tests and different things. And each, and we'd be sitting in a waiting room with other families, other parents, and each time there'd be fewer couples. Mm. And then you'd eventually find out there were couples that split. And we even got with a couple in Charleston, Illinois, that were going through this. And um, I think one of the, well, obviously the big key is God unifies us. If we don't have sincere relationship with God, each individual, that's the key. But um, we each grieved differently. Uh, it took us a long, took us some time, but thankfully it was during the time of Mike that we realized we're different. We, we grieve differently. I was like, I just wanted to hold him all the time. And I just wanted to, you know, hang on to every moment and right. have special moments with him and take him to the park and and Roger, then on the other hand, um, and I cried a lot, Roger on the other hand was planning how the, the, was the car gonna hold up to all these trips to St. Louis? Do we have tires that are gonna hold up? Right. Um, let's see, let's look at the bank account. Let's right. look at the insurance. Um, but then I found out too that he was crying every morning in the shower. Oh. And so he was grieving, he was hurting but it was different than me. So we learned that that doesn't mean he was wrong. I was right. We've learned that a lot of, in a lot of ways in our marriage, just because we're different. It doesn't mean we're one's wrong and one's right. Yeah. We're just different. Marcia uh, put this in a phrase that I think is so appropriate that I've used many, many times personally and helped others. And that's share, don't compare. Mm. We don't compare our grief. We share our grief with each other and it'll intersect somewhere, but you don't compare. Um, the other thing that the, that experience taught us was the cracks were already there in relationships. You apply pressure to them and that's when they break. So that was a warning to us. We're like, we need to repair the cracks in our relationship. We need to be sure that people are involved in our our life to help us uh, with that. And we've had some very poignant moments of uh, you know discipleship 
could have helped us with that, mm -hmm. mostly on me. Mm -hmm. uh, I think of a couple of really strong illustrations, <laughs> but um, uh, you know, it it takes it takes work mm -hmm. um, to to do that. And vows, we we've always believed that we made a vow, we're going to stay with it. Right, right. Old old school. Just you made a promise oh, to each other. Exactly. <laughs> Gotta stick to it. So if you're going to be together. Need to figure out how to make do it in a happy way. That's right. That's right. right. And, and that's that's what inspires me so much about you too. Is I just think, okay, I would be tempted to just take my marbles and go home and just go. You know what? I gave my life to Jesus, and look what He's given me. And I'm just going to focus on trying to keep my marriage together and just kind of shut off any sort of productivity or advancing the kingdom. But that's exactly the opposite of what you guys have done. You've continued to build the kingdom and expanding in influence and service. That's, that's powerful. I mean, you must have had to make a conscious decision like, okay, like you said, we're not going to let this define us, but it, there, there had to be a decision somewhere along the way. I mean, that's, that's just not the way I would feel. Well, let me um, just mention it. People with chronic illness, I mean, I've got fibromyalgia also. Uh, take another 20 minutes for me to tell you all the things that right. I deal with. But um, chronic illness is so hard to deal with because it's day by day by day pain or day by day inabilities. And that, that kind of illness really makes you question my worth. You know, why am I here? Mm -hmm. And he's such obviously uh, like fired up Superman. He's Superman. Yeah. Right, right. And it's spiritual Superman. But there's so many things I cannot do. And I have to say, I can't do that. I can't do that. And it, it hurts. It, mm -hmm. I used to be able to do so much more. Um, but I have had to again dig in and look at my relationship with God and on what basis does he love me is it on the basis of how many studies I had or if I got out today and shared my faith or if I uh, had a long quiet time or or was it just a short one because I couldn't stay awake I mean there we get funny we get so humanistic right. about our relationship with God and we treat that like like we would another human being treat how another human being treats us but it is god is so not that god is so much love but i did have to fight through that because that's been my character for a long time is that guilt and that feeling of i'm not valuable i'm not contributing i'm not um you know so why am i still alive um, and I thought maybe it's because I'm like Job's wife to annoy him. You know, that's why God <laughs> left me around. <laughs> uh, seriously, I, I've had to, if you don't mind, I've, I've had to work through a lot with some books that have helped me. Um, the one that helped me with that is the, his image. It's uh, by Josh McDowell, his image, my image by Josh McDowell. And that has a lot to do with what I was saying about knowing God and knowing yourself and knowing how God loves you uh, unconditionally. And what does that mean? What does it look like? Um, and then um, 
How People Grow by Townsend. His books have been great. Right. I love those books. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, some of these books have really helped me a lot to get my, again, um, to help me. And those, I'm saying this to the other people who have those chronic illnesses that you, you feel useless personally. Right. And well, so then your question is, you could answer the one you gave. Well, at one point in the 90s, it almost seemed like there was kind of a um, a pandemic among ministry leaders with with these types of illnesses, whether it's fibromyalgia or chronic fatigue. I mean, it's like oh, another another wife of a minister is down with one of these types of illnesses. And I, do you think there's anything in the job description itself that would contribute toward it? I mean, I, it seemed really prevalent, although I could, it's a very small. Uh, sample set to, to draw from since we don't really know what causes those diseases i don't know that i have an answer for that except that yes i do think the pressure um undue pressure that perhaps some of ministry wives felt to do things that um like for me not having that skill but also just pushing through pushing through pushing through your body's not meant to do that, and yet we do it. Right. And there was a time when it was more spiritual to get less sleep and more spiritual right. to, you know, get, give up this, give up that. And I, for years, thought it was unspiritual to clean my house. So <laughs> I've had to get over that one. But um, I think that's along the lines you were, right. you were asking, perhaps. Exactly. Yes, we do need to, again, yeah. God dealt with people individually. Right. When you think about the different letters uh, that he had the uh, apostles write, like Timothy, what was his nature like? What did, you know, what was uh, he told to do? Take care of yourself, take a little wine. Right. But then there'd be other, uh, Titus, he didn't get any of that advice. Right. Because right. he was different. Right. Different, so, di different temperament, maybe constitution. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. We're not all one kind. That's yeah. right. Would it be okay at this point if we just take a, a just a short comfort break? Would that be okay? Are you yeah. guys doing okay time-wise? And then we can just come back in like five minutes. Okay. This guy's this is going so awesome. I'm so excited. It just both of your sharing is just I can't wait. I I just wanna hold on a second, let me turn off the recording. Roger, the eighties the and nineties were in some ways you could consider the the golden age of the ICOC. Is there a turning point? And I think you, you hinted at it earlier in the conversation. Is there a turning point or a watershed moment that stands out in your mind during that um, time period when things yeah. went in maybe perhaps the wrong direction? Yes, definitely. Uh, like we said, I think 1980 was crucial. Kept going to Boston and reshifting the focus to planning churches and world evangelism. I think 87 was crucial in that that was sort of the last call for people to come join the movement out of the traditional churches. And we started getting really uh, separated, uh, opposed from them after that. Um, I think for internally in our movement, to me, 1994-95, there was a watershed moment. And I'm planning to write more about this. But as I've looked back on it, I think some, some really strategic mistakes were made there. 
I think one of them, well, the big one was we got to thinking we knew what we were doing. Mm. And that makes you rely on God less. And um, <clears throat> I think then when the crisis happened, God just finally said, hey, remember me, I'm over here. Mm. And he spanked us on the butt and uh, gave us some discipline like Hebrews talks about. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the, the mistakes in 1994, 95, the LA church, um, and Kip was driving this. He wanted it to become the biggest mega church in the US. I think that changed a lot of thinking and a lot of stuff. So that's when he started pulling in all these leaders and, and uh, having churches send their Bible talk leaders mm -hmm. and then expecting them to keep evangelizing at the same rate when he was stripping them of their leadership mm -hmm. to build LA. And there was no gratitude and, it, you know, a lot of hurt feelings mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. I think the other big mistake that happened at that time was shifting the emphasis from the small group to the Sunday attendance. Mm -hmm. we, our strong, our small groups were so strong and were so, uh, Marshall alluded to it before, they were so effective in discipling and evangelism and, uh, you know, we were built on small groups, really. <clears throat> and then the shift to Sunday morning, and then there was that stringent rating. Every church was rated every Sunday on every Sunday. Good, great, or awesome. Exactly. Good, great, or awesome. Mm -hmm. And then the pressure was ramped up on evangelism. And, uh, you know, uh, Bible talk leaders meetings Sunday afternoon or evening uh, you had a visitor there this morning. Why didn't you study with them this afternoon? Mm -hmm. and, and and so uh, we saw a huge ramp in the number of baptisms, and we saw a huge ramp in the uh, number of followers leaving the church. And that's well documented. Uh, we, I published an article about it. I just ran across it the other day, years ago. Uh, Andy Fleming's published his great study about it. Um, it just was a wrong focus. Mm -hmm. The third mistake, I think, was the six-year plan. Uh, not that it was, the, the evangelization proclamation was awesome. But to say that we were going to plant all these churches in six years and was considered great faith. But it meant countries where people would die if they went there as well. Okay, Roger, it, one, one second. For those who are not familiar with those terms, six-year plan, okay. evangelism, proc, can you, can you uh, describe what, what, that, what are you talking about there? Yes, sorry. The, um, uh, the world sector leaders at the time uh, came out with this great evangelization proclamation. That we, we were committed to evangelizing the world, and we had a plan to do it. And we're going to send out churches, raise up leaders. And within six years, we would have a church in every uh, country in the world that had a city of at least 100,000. Um, well, that, that was a noble goal. But three years into it, it became really obvious, this is, this is hard in six years. And then towards the end, there was pressure to send 
people that weren't church leaders to go start churches to meet the goal. And they, there was no wisdom in terms of, let's reassess our goal here. <laughs> Is this really a wise thing to do, to build well? Mm -hmm. So that put all kinds of pressure on them, that put on financial pressure. It, it put pressure on these guys uh, that was hurting their consciences who were on these continents. And you probably experienced some of that uh, being in Asia. Um, and I, I think that was a, a, it was one of those, a good idea gone wrong mm -hmm. on implementation. Mm -hmm. So to me, those were the watershed movement Oh, there was one other thing. I, I think uh, I think the year 2000, we should have seen by then uh, where the mistakes were leading us. We were celebrating, you know, being in all these these countries, which is still awesome. But there was a huge amount of hurt uh, and misunderstanding and stuff among the membership that was swelling that people knew about. And it even led to asking Kip to resign and all that. Mm -hmm. I think if our, if our leadership had really initiated going to our members and listening to them and empathizing with them and apologizing, if they had initiated that, I think we wouldn't have had the crisis of 2003. There were a few churches that did, by the way. Uh, Boston started that uh, before 2003. So you're saying initiating it was the key. Right. The leadership didn't initiate it, so it swelled up from the people. Right. Yeah. And then it, it, it uh, we can go into that in more detail if you want. But to me, the simplest explanation is the firestorm illustration. Right. That dead wood collects in the forests mm -hmm. and then a spark comes right, right. and you have the forest fires in california yeah right and yeah. right exactly and dead wood in churches is uh, unresolved conflicts right and relationships and we had stacked and leadership was didn't initiate let's go resolve, let's go pick up the, the floor, resolve these conflicts. I think if we had, then to me, the Henry Creek letter was a match. Right. That's all it was. That's all it was. There hadn't been all the dead wood. It wouldn't have had a, it exactly. burned a little bit and burned out. Well, Roger, if you could just go back in time and just do a little time travel back to one particular time period or event or meeting when and where would it be? If you could just go back and, and just go, okay, I'm going to try to do my best to alter those events. Well, where would you go and when would it be? Um, yeah, it is. I, I didn't really have a decision-making role at that time. I was the communicator. So, um, but if I could be in the decision-making group, I think it would be 1994 and then 2000 and and try to but you know it's going back with hindsight any mm -hmm. all of us would be better going back with of course hindsight. of course and that's the the nature of the question there <laughs> uh so to me the the question is not if i could do that but what do i learn from that mm -hmm. to do now 
Okay. Going forward. Okay. And what, what would that be? We keep making mistakes. Mm -hmm. We're, we're not going to, we're not finished making mistakes. <laughs> we're not. Right. Okay. Uh, my prayer is my motto is let's make new mistakes. Mm -hmm. Let's not make those mistakes again. I don't think we have recovered yet from the shift on the emphasis off of the small groups. I think some of our smaller churches uh, maybe have because they, they see the, the need and the survival of them. But I don't think as a movement we have. Um, I think the, you know, learning the lessons from the past, um, we got to apply now. And um, learning how to be empathetic and listen and validate people's pain and pointing them to Jesus. Right. Instead of, okay, here, point you to Jesus. Right. Now be quiet. Right. Uh, that that is not what Jesus did. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, that was my, that was my next question: is what what do you see as the greatest need today, in order to multiply disciples, leaders, and churches? And you've talked about an emphasis on small groups, and that's something that definitely stood out in my recent interview with uh, Lynn Green, and just. Ooh how she moved to Boston from Kentucky or from Duke just to learn how to be a Bible talk leader. I just, you right. know, it just hit me and it just brought me back. And I thought, you know, at that time as a member of the church, as a baby Christian, all I wanted to do was be a Bible talk leader. I yeah. just wanted to, I, I remember just how proud I was when I became an assistant Bible talk leader yeah. and, you know, just kind of right. moving up the ranks. And it was a, it was an honor to be able to lead a small group. And it, when she was talking about that, it just took me back at how, that really was a thing. I mean, it was it was strong. It's having small groups, it was cool. You know, there's a lot of yeah. leaders in the church. Yes, yes. And we were young, and 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 the movement the movement is like a person. I think you know yeah. we you start off young and you don't know much. You think you know everything. Well, that's when you get in teenage years. That's right. that's what I think happened to us in the. 90s we became teenagers as a movement when you're young you need the direction the rules the mm -hmm. you know like a good young child yeah right and we needed that and we knew it and we accepted it and then you get the rebellious well i know what i'm doing and then you go yeah maybe i don't and so i think we matured a lot since 2003 i think there's an incredible story to be told about how we've stayed together what other organization, I thought about this a lot, organization, movement, whatever, has gone through what we've gone through, the losing the, the key leader, the founders, so to speak, um, uh, the incredible amount of uh, hurt and pain, the uh, amount of uh, uh, apologizing the leadership did, to the membership for things, not only what they did, they apologized for things they never did mm -hmm. for other people. That was, a, that humility challenged me in my legalistic mind, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. uh, well, I didn't do that, uh, but that wasn't there. They were wanting to uh, be like the Old Testament prophets. No, uh, we as a people have failed. Right. right. And, um, 
and 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 yet we most of our leaders stuck around not all of them some of them were hired hands and ran off some of them were just hurt and and ran off um, but most of our leaders stuck around and were very humble and have put back together uh how we could work together mm -hmm. um that is an amazing story now there's you know residual damage i think from that but that uh, i think a lot of our leaders lack trust and i think PTSD. you grow at the speed of trust right there's a book that title that's right mm -hmm. it's so biblical and it's it's so true about any group well let's talk and a little I bit about your role in that roger because okay Going, let's go back to 2002, 2003. I remember when uh, I heard that Kip had stepped down or was asked to step down. Um, There's a big meeting in Los Angeles. I mean, it was just chaotic. It was like the walls coming down. And from our family of churches, we came from the traditional Church of Christ, which has a strong tendency towards autonomy in the church, that there's no superstructure binding us together. So all of a sudden, the only thing in our past is we're going to go back to a bunch of individual churches. Um, and that's when you stepped in. And I remember you started Disciples Today during that time. And that's really become the glue in a lot of ways in binding people together, connecting people. We've got such a widespread worldwide movement. Tell me about what your thinking was during that time. How'd you come up with that idea? And how do you feel about it looking back 17 years later? Thanks. Um, yeah, that's really very much at the heart of my heart. Um, I knew when things were falling apart, you know, we lost our funding for KNN overnight. We were shutting it down, trying to decide what to do, where to go. Um, and I was looking around and I, I knew if we didn't have something to connect us, we would just dissipate. Right. And frankly, I, I believe we were that close to just dissipating as a movement. Definitely. And disappearing yep. as a movement. Yep. And uh, it wasn't all me, but I knew, I said, well, what can I do? Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, I know how to start a website. <laughs> so <laughs> maybe I can do that. But I knew we had to have something where we could stay in touch with each other. So that's when uh, we moved back to Chicago. My parents were in the church there and were aging. Um, and um, my parents were in Indiana, yeah, also, in also aging. aging. And my sister, who had Down syndrome, was aging. And so we moved back there. And and I just, uh, I just, we didn't have any means of support except some leftover Canaan funds. So we just pray, God, if you want this to happen, make it happen. If you don't, we'll figure out what else to do, but I've got to try. So we started a website in June 4th on 2004, mm. a little website. Uh, we didn't even have a list of churches. We didn't have any of that contact information. The church that had been running the website um, in San Francisco, refused to give us the data on our churches. Oh my gosh. And so 
fortunately, God brought this guy, Kelsey Hahn, into my life. He said, I'm really interested. I'm a data guy. Right. And I want to help build, rebuild this. And uh, so he helped me rebuild a list of churches and contacts. And then we started the church directory. We started telling good news of what was going on around the world. And I just, fortunately, God had given me a lot of relationships through k and mm-hmm. where I could connect with some of these guys that I knew and, and, and sisters and ask them to send us stuff. Right. And, and so that, that's how it started was just on a, totally on prayer and God, if you want this to happen, really cool story about that is that, uh, another brother, and this story has been repeated many times, but another brother in Dallas called me up, said, Hey, I'm working for this great portal company and portals were real big right then. And he said, I'm new here, but I think that, uh, we should use this for, uh, the church. And, um, I asked my, I thought I'm going to ask my boss if he'll do it for free. And my coworkers told me not to ask him because he's an atheist and he'll fire me. (laughs) I said, wow, I love your idea and I love your faith. I said, but understand, I have no money to support you. I have no, I have nothing. He said, "I, I know, I know God will take care of it. So he, I said, you pray about it. If you, if you pray and God still has it on your heart. And he did. And he went in in the first three years of Disciples Today, we were hosted and paid for by an atheist. Wow. That's amazing. Because of, of him. So, and then God has brought us people. Just, we needed something. We'd pray and God would bring the person. That's so cool. Over and over again. That's, that's amazing. It, yeah. it just brings up some, and then from that, you've got so many different offspring, whether it's DT heart and soul, you know, DT connect all these different things that, that God blessed you with, but it's, yeah. it was such a pivotal time and it must've made you think so much of, um, you know, that phrase from Esther was said for such a time as this, you know, God's raised you yeah. up and all your gifts, all your talents, your connections with all the people. Cause I remember you coming to visit us in Japan and you know, those relationships, boy, they sure paid off and you're right. I mean, it, the kingdom was in shambles. It just was like uh, an atom bomb and just blown up everything. People were afraid and that really did pull people together and such a, such a tribute to your, um, your love for the kingdom. Now, one thing that impresses me is that how did you, how did you ma- remain so adaptable? I mean, at that point, you're fit in your fifties. Websites, technology. You could have said, "I'm not a technical person. I don't know how to do this." I mean, it, you you weren't like a, a millennial. I mean, how did you develop that adaptability and flexibility to learn new technology in order to serve? he's so funny because he he, something um comes up he's never done it before oh i'd like to learn that i mean (laughs) that's who he is i I wanted to put this in somewhere sure go ahead early early on in my maybe teenage years or college years a woman told me one time she said Young lady, if you marry a 10-talent man, you must let him be a 10-talent man. Wow. And that was her advice to me. Hmm. 
and I hadn't even met Roger then, but her advice kept ringing. You know, that's, let him be a 10 talent man. He can, he can do a lot, but also he just has that curiosity. Right. And I'm surprised, who knows what he's going to do in retirement. He'll who knows? I know he met. He mentioned more projects, you know, after retirement. I thought, oh my gosh, he's you're 73 now, you know, and already thinking about more projects. That's that's impressive. Oh yes. Okay. I think too, it, it's um, you know, I, I get bored easy. Uh, <laughs> that's true. One thing, but something again, um, you know, the parable of the talents. I don't believe I was a ten talent person. I believe I used the talents that I had and made myself available to God. And then God would give me more talents that I never thought I would have. And I believe that's not just me. I believe that's available to everybody. Yeah. We have to give him the talents we've got. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. Your whole life has been incredibly productive for the kingdom of God. And you've got to go out, I mean, just retiring here with your arms in the in the victory position, Marsha and Roger, I just go, it's pretty awesome. What do you attribute this consistency? I mean, we're, we're talking, going way back into the 60s, over 50 years preaching, teaching, dedicated to God's kingdom. Where does it come from? I mean, you've been consistent in the midst of the worst possible circumstances, losing children, having cancer. How'd you guys stay... How'd you, you know, Jesus said the love of most will grow cold. How'd you keep your passion going? How'd you, how'd you stay consistent in your service? He's stubborn. That's his. <laughs> well, I'll let him talk about that. Um, <clears throat> almost get teary eyed here. I think because God has healed me in so many ways, maybe not physically, but emotionally, spiritually, um, there are some dark things from my past that God has really, he's used the kingdom uh, to really help me to see God's love, to work through so many things. And there's always growth. Um, I don't, I think that's what helped me is to know that I'm not, I'm not as a disciple, we're not stuck. We may feel stuck, but it, and it may be that just God's leaving us in a place right now. So we'll get tired of it like he does, but it's such a growing vital relationship with God and with other people that that keeps me going because I don't want to, I've been stuck. Mm -hmm. I, in a rut before I became a disciple uh, and I just don't want to be back there it, so I will keep fighting uh, because I know God has more to teach me Wow! and there's a home in heaven Amen, Amen yeah. to that Roger? I think I have a natural bent uh, because both of my parents were stubborn and uh, uh, but my simple nature, uh, that also comes out. I think as that tried to crucify that, you know, God says he will change that into a spiritual nature. Mm -hmm. And kind of like, kind of like, like Jacob. I mean, yeah. Just, yeah. 
just yeah. kind of a talented, but kind of a worldly person, but God used him to form the nation. Yeah. And taught him some hard lessons. Mm -hmm. Right. Good point. And uh, I think God, what God did was he, he made it into a vulnerable stubbornness. Mm. I don't know if that makes sense or not, but uh, um, uh, I feel a lot more vulnerable to God and to other people now than I ever have and not insecure about it. Mm. Um, uh, I think another very important thing was, you know, trust is just a trust issue. Mm. God said he will not allow you to be tempted beyond <clears throat> what you can bear. Mm. Now, he and I have had some arguments about that. Um, and I've, I've prayed literally for God not to trust me. So <laughs> <laughs> literally, I'm like, you, you got the wrong number here, <laughs> uh, you know, but, um, he, he said, that I can bear this and he will help me. I can't bear it by myself. There's no way. Without God, we wouldn't be together. Our family be decimated. Well, I think what, another real key can, is Roger, can you got, go excuse me one second? Can you can you go back and vulnerable stubbornness? Okay, what what do you mean by that? Well, I think uh there's a willful stubbornness mm -hmm. where I'm gonna win. You know, or I'm going to beat you, or I'm going to, you know. But I think there's a, that's a sinful nature. That's my sinful nature. Um, the vulnerable stubbornness to me is I'm not going to let anybody or anything take my relationship with God away I see. from me. That's great. Thank um, you. Um, I don't, I can't do it by myself. I have to have help from God, I have to have help from my brothers and my sisters. And the reason we're sitting here today is not just because we're wonderful. It, it's because uh, God has taught us and God has used people in our lives. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and, but I'm not gonna let go of that and I, I'm, I'm gonna let God walk me through the valley of the shadow of death mm -hmm. wow. up to the mountaintop. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you. Uh, just, this has been an amazing interview. I just got two more questions. If you can just bear with me a couple, just a couple more questions sure. here. This whole program is, is for people who want to want to make a difference with their lives to live no regrets lives and to make the most of this life, make this life count. You certainly have done it. Both of you, I just, you must look back with a solemn sense of pride on your life and your accomplishments. But what advice would you give to a woman or a man who is looking at this and go, man, I want to live a no regrets life. I want to make this life count. Wow. <clears throat> I think um, the first thing that came to my mind is, uh, is, Take every day, um, live every day with wanting to accomplish something. He every day he says, "Well, what do you want to accomplish today?" <laughs> but that's true. It's like every day. It's not a vacation day. It's not just a here for me day. Um, you know, 
I think that's part of it. Uh, and part of that is because with having so some challenges physically, I uh, feel like um, many times I, I just have the widow's might to give. Mm -hmm. And uh, yet Jesus acknowledged that as mm -hmm. a great thing to that she gave. Right. And so that's that's the one thing. And then I think God has made it pretty clear what he's kind of taken away. Things that have I thought were important that aren't that important. Mm -hmm. And um, and then helping me see more clearly what is it really important. You're talking about talking to young people. Um, I know I wanted to do everything and be everything. You know, I wanted to be with the singers. I wanted to, <laughs> and I had some talent in those areas, you know. So it's like, what, you know, I want to try this. I want to try that. But then you have to realize the priorities, of course, God first and husband and family. But anyway, I think, I don't know. I know it's an important question to ask yourself and, and try things. Um, but God is the one that's going to, that's going to the passage. You make many plans, but God directs you. Right, exactly. So, so have your eyes open to see where he's directing you. That's so. great. So make each life count, make, make each day count, give it mm -hmm. to God and then just give what you have and, yeah. and let him guide. Right. Okay. And I great. think also being honest, like I was talking about before, what are you, what are your strengths? Right. What do you have to give that only you can give? Mm -hmm. There's some things that, you know, like I said, I thought I could do this and this and this and this. And I did that in high school. Mm -hmm. I joined every club, you know. But uh, <clears throat> as you get more maturity, you realize uh, there's one thing that I can, only I can do. That's right. There are a lot of people that can sing. There are a lot of people that can do uh, other things, but only I can do. I can only I can be his wife. Right. You hear that? Okay. <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> I'm stubborn too. <laughs> so, you know, so it simplifies. Okay. I'm the, I'm the mother of certain children. And right. so I feel like each child was even a privilege mm. from God that I had them for the time that we had them. And we got to see them finish their, their, race mm -hmm. was hard but so that's what i do is i try to simplify and think you know what can only i do right and that's one reason why we focused in on uh, writing the book on right. our illnesses right. and overcoming because only we can do that that's only right. I can do that. and i can't imagine how many people have been helped from from your book from your experience it's amazing thank you yeah. we do get a lot of appreciation. Appreciate absolutely. It. Absolutely. Roger. Uh, that's such a great question. And uh, I remember being that age and wrestling with those things myself. Um, and I think if I could tell my younger self <laughs> something, um, you know, falling in love with God takes care of so many things not falling in love with the church right we're falling in love with god therefore we love the church 
that's why the two greatest commandments are love God first, <laughs> first commandment. And then the second is love each other. Because if you get those flipped, they don't work. Right. Um, her own daughter did that first and then wound up leaving God because of it mm. for 12 years that were brutal and things I never thought we'd experience as parents. Mm. But then she came back with a vengeance mm. when she got restored Amen. and ended her life really strong. Mm. Um, so I think that's so crucial is fall in love with God. And then as part of that, you make Jesus Lord and Savior. Mm. And Jesus is Lord and Savior. We've got to keep remembering the simple things are the strongest truths. Mm. Yeah. And then everything else comes out of that. Um, that helps my priorities. That helps me plan my life, my time, my job, everything, my marriage, relationships, everything. And then so, okay, I'm in love with God. He, and I'm grateful that I've been redeemed. Never forget that. Mm -hmm. We don't deserve this, right. none of us. Right. And then what has God's, what's that place in the body that God has picked out for me mm. to specialize in, like Marcia said, right. and to excel in, and, uh, and then make you, myself available. Mm. Not wait for somebody to ask me, but make myself available and initiate. And then I think the other thing is being willing to take risks. Yeah. You, the person who never risks, never succeeds. Um, they may fail, but they will succeed eventually. And there is no success without failures. Mm -hmm. There's just not. Right. So um, I, I think often I think of the Indiana Jones scene this may not relate to some of our young folks now I'm thinking about it. But go see the watch the movie. Where he has to cross the chasm to right. get to the other side. Right, right. And there's no bridge. Right. We'll step out. But there's no bridge. Yeah, you have to step first. That's he right. stepped out, the bridge appeared. That's right. And to me, that is the walk of faith. Yeah. That's, That's absolutely true. It's so true, Roger. Love that, love that movie, love that scene, the step of faith. You know, going, you're retiring here in just a few days. You left a great legacy there with disciples today. <clears throat> and you're, you're like, like the master connector, the great connector here of our family of churches, just definitely instrumental in keeping us connected. What do you see as necessary in order for our churches to stay connected going forward? Thank you. That is, I've been praying about that a lot. And there's a lot of discussion among the leadership about that. And obviously it's generation to generation. You know, and I, a great Bible study for anybody to do is just look up the word generation on, a, on Bible Gateway or something and read those scriptures. God is interested in generation to generation. So I think um, it's raising up more generations and then helping them connect with that vision and that dream and then empowering them to accomplish dreams and not, not the dreams of the past. Every generation has its own uniqueness and its own challenges. 
Um, so I think it's, it's um, what is the challenge now for this next generation? Now, one of the biggest challenges is building these relationships among them mm -hmm. because in the beginning, there weren't that many of us. We all knew each other. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> uh, it's just bound to happen if you multiply. But they were all over the world. And now those guys had relationships with the key leaders they raised up. It's another great story of our movement, how quickly local national leadership was raised up right. to take over. Right. Um, but now those original guys have been gone a long time. And now other generations are being raised up that don't know even the original founders of the right. churches, right. let alone churches elsewhere. So I think we have to use social media. I think God has given us incredible tools. What do you think Paul would have done with the internet? Uh, you know, uh, he had to write on a papyrus and send it on a donkey uh, months to get to a church, right? Um, so I think we got to figure out how to use these tools to keep us interconnected and build more relationships. I love what the campus and the singles are doing with these international devotionals and stuff like that. Uh, God put us all, sent us all to our rooms, so we, we'd have to all be Zoom experts, right. uh, figure out all this stuff, you know? He's thinking, he's thinking. <laughs> he's thinking. Um, but I, I think you have to intentionally build those relationships, mm -hmm. too. Yeah. And that, that involves people and money. Yeah. We have to be willing to give the people and spend the money and so short-sighted for us not to spend money to build relationships. That's because right. Because those are the tendons, according to the scriptures. Mm -hmm. Those are the tendons that keep the body together and functioning. And if those tendons shrivel, the body will not work. Right. Well, Roger and Marcia, thank you so much for your time uh, today. It's been inspiring. It's been... Uh, powerful to look back on our history. And I want to thank you so much for all your service to the kingdom of God, the, the trials you've gone through and persevered through and set such an amazing example. And I want to congratulate you on your retirement coming up here in a few days. It's an honor to be able to interview you right before your retirement. I know that your example is going to inspire many, pe many people to make this life count and to live a no regrets life. And I want to thank you today for listening to the Rob Skinner podcast. My goal is to inspire you to make this life count, to live a no regrets life, and to multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. If you're enjoying this podcast, please let your friends and family know. You can also email me with feedback or questions. I'd love to hear from you. My email is rob at tucsonchurchofchrist.org. I want you to have a great day and make this life count.